Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're doing something unusual on the radio broadcast. We're actually doing something that tightens the connection between a powerful resource and the radio show. That powerful resource is a magazine that bears the very same name as our show. That's right. We've got a magazine called American Indian and Alaska Native Living Magazine. You can get all our great resources, both listen to the radio show, podcasts, and past editions of the show at AIANL.org. That simply stands for American Indian and Alaska Native Living.org. So AIANL.org. And what's so special today is we're going to be looking at a topic, really, a topic that has. Uh, part and parcel of Native culture throughout the world, but especially here in North America, it has to do with movement and physical activity. What I've been doing is actually getting ready to really write an article that will go in the print edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living magazine. And that article is dealing with the topic of physical activity with exercise. In fact, an entire issue of that journal is going to be focused on that topic. And as I've been preparing to write my article, I've just been going through a lot of the recent research on physical activity. And I'm saying, wow, this is such good stuff. Yeah, I'm going to put it in the article, or I'll put some of it in this article, but there's so much of it, I want to share it with my radio listeners. So today, I'm going to be walking with you through some exciting things that have been published over, especially the last decade, but even going back a little bit further, because the benefits of physical activity have been known about for years. In studying the history of this, I was reminded of the research of a, a researcher by the name of Paffenbarger, who really made these connections, I believe, back in the 1960s. So what are we talking? Uh, 50, 60 years ago. Connections between physical activity, better health, longevity, and now even more of the dots are being connected. So I want to speak with you today about some things that actually brought along uh, some, what have I got, 15 or 16 pages of things that I've summarized from the medical literature. And I want to walk through some of the high points. So the first one from a review article talking about why you should exercise. What are the benefits? A lot of this may sound familiar, but we're going to talk about some things that, that are new to me. So I think you're going to be excited about some of the benefits of exercise. And I know some of you probably are not real excited about physical activity, but I'm going to be telling you that relatively small amounts of physical activity can be beneficial. We'll try to cover that in today's presentation, even some stuff that doesn't require you working up a sweat. And we're going to even talk about the benefits of some forms of physical activity. We don't even have to leave your chair. That's right. You could be sitting on your sofa watching television and benefit from this physical activity, by the way, with a minimum of expenditures. So we'll get into all of that in today's show. That's my goal. So first of all, what are the benefits of exercise? Far-reaching list. I'm looking at some of them. Prevention of heart disease, decreased risk and treatment of high blood pressure. Same is true with type 2 diabetes. 
a number of cancers actually preventable with exercise. I got to stop here. One of the studies that I reviewed just today, actually, was looking at something very interesting about exercise and cancer. And this review article suggested that the research is showing that not only can exercise, physical activity, prevent a host of cancers, a variety of cancers, and we might touch on the specific types uh, as we go through the show. We'll see how our time holds out. But physical activity seems even more important in preventing the ravages of cancer. That's right. If you've been diagnosed with cancer, if a loved one has been diagnosed with cancer, I know the human tendency is to say, well, you know, they're already going through so much. Uh, Let them rest. Uh, Let them eat those comfort foods. Actually, the research suggests that exercise is especially powerful in preventing the ravages of cancer. In other words, extending the lifespan, beating cancer, whatever terminology you want to use, physical activity, a very, very important part of the puzzle. So let me uh, continue the list here. Uh, The prevention of osteoporosis. But it doesn't just stop there with physical things. Listen to this list. Psychiatric conditions can be benefited. Depression, anxiety. By the way, I read a whole bunch about those topics, and we'll speak on some of them. Some really, really exciting stuff that uh, I find a lot of folks have not heard about that impacts depression, mental health, and even making a connection. Now, this was, I have to tell you this right out of the box. One of the things that blew me away with some of the research on physical activity has to do with the prevention of eye health. Things like glaucoma and macular degeneration, connections with physical activity, prevention, and it ties in actually with some similar brain compounds that are involved in depression prevention and depression treatment. We'll be speaking about that as we go along today. So let me continue the list. Not only mental health conditions, not only Typical physical health conditions that we've been hearing about for years, heart disease, cancer, yes, blood pressure, diabetes, but also things like fibromyalgia, uh, breaking free from nicotine addiction, and even menopausal symptoms, all of those on the list. But it goes beyond that because I know a lot of folks say, well, hey, there's stuff that's in my genes. I don't know that I can prevent this uh, or not. I I don't think I can. Listen to some of the other benefits. These are review articles. So in other words, scientific researchers looking at all that's been published on exercise, and they're telling us things like self-esteem is improved with exercise, vitality, general well-being, and even satisfaction with physical appearance. Now, some of you say, well, yeah, because you're going to look better if you're exercising. Uh, Well, perhaps, but maybe it also has to do with your mental outlook. And you say, hey, I'm fit even if I'm carrying some extra weight. I'm feeling better. Maybe you won't care as much that uh, someone thinks you're, uh, you're, you're carrying a few more pounds than they think you should. So exercise has these far-reaching benefits. Let's hone in on, on, on a couple of them. I want to talk first about mental health because I've already uh, alluded to that a little bit. And one of the questions has to do with why would physical activity help mental health? In this particular study, they looked at two particular hypotheses, two particular lines of thinking that seem to be supported by the evidence. 
One of them has to do with these so-called monoamines, transmission at the nerve level. We call it synaptic transmission. So these nerve messengers, neurotransmitters that are involved in depression. And they're saying that physical activity actually increases the efficiency, uh, helps neurotransmission. So this is one of the ways that exercise has been thought to impact depression. A second one has to do with uh, something perhaps you've heard about for many years, and it has to do with something called endorphins. And that term endorphin comes from two words, endogenous morphines. So, of course, morphines, these pain-relieving and outlook-enhancing, if you will, compounds, uh, morphine and related narcotics now have gotten a bad rap, but your body actually makes endogenously. That means within yourself, you make these compounds, at least a type of compo- compound that, that works in the body on the very same receptors that these illicit drugs, powerful prescription drugs work on. They're number of them in that narcotic class. Anyway, beta endorphin is the one that you perhaps have heard about. And as they mentioned in this source, it uh, actually, these substances can inhibit or block effects in the central nervous system that would adversely impact the mental outlook. In other words, they can enhance uh, a feeling of calmness. They can improve mood, especially in settings where you may need improvement in mood. Now, on balance, when we're speaking about exercise and mental health, you may think, well, hey, I really got into exercise and it did not help my mental health. It actually deteriorated it. And in this particular review, they do talk. There are situations where people can go too far with exercise. There's an overtraining syndrome. So if you're a competitive athlete, for example, this can actually have depressive effects on your outlook. You're, you're training so much. You're trying to reach this goal. You're pushing yourself. And I've met more than one athlete over the years, highly competitive, successful athletes. When they are done with their sport, they want nothing to do with it. They said, I'm tired of this. All it is was work. It was just a bunch of, of uh, very intense activity. I'm tired of it. I don't want to have anything to do with that particular activity. So just keep in mind, sure, you can overtrain. You can uh, subject yourself to uh, risk with exercise. We'll talk about that uh, during this show, what kind of uh, folks may need to be thinking, especially about watching for dangers with exercise. But I think it's important to recognize some of the powerful benefits of exercise. Let me give you another review article. This was published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine. And these researchers were looking at a very interesting topic. We all know that physical activity helps with weight management. And they were honing in on the pediatric population. A lot of times we speak about older adults, the importance of exercise. They were looking at a growing concern worldwide, and that is obesity in children, children carrying extra weight. I found a very interesting statement in the article. Now, this may seem kind of silly, but listen to it. Here's their take, these researchers. The most significant long-term consequence of obesity in childhood is fill in the blank. I'll read it again. The most significant long-term consequence of obesity in childhood is adult obesity. Now, a lot of people say, well, come on. What kind of nonsense is this? Of course, if you're overweight as a kid, you're more likely to be overweight as an adult. 
Why this is so significant is we know obesity in adulthood is connected with a host of conditions. Some of these very conditions that are prevented by exercise, perhaps some of their prevention, I'm not saying all of it, perhaps some of it has to do with modulating weight, keeping our weight down. Because if you look at the list of things that exercise helps prevent, it looks strikingly similar to the things connected with obesity. For example, the more weight you carry, the higher your blood pressure tends to be the worse your blood sugars tend to be, the greater problems you have with heart disease, certain cancers connected with overweight. So these researchers are reminding us exercise important across the age span. And one of the things very important for in children is actually helping with weight control, optimizing their weight. Now, let's go to the other end of the spectrum, and we're going to talk about physical activity and aging, physical activity and aging. A number of papers have looked at this, and this is really uh, very interesting. Let me just read a statement. Now, this is from a British review, and here's what they say. Despite the highly publicized benefits of physical activity, the overwhelming majority of older people in the United Kingdom do not meet the minimum physical activity levels needed to maintain health. As I was looking at the literature, this is not a UK-specific problem. Throughout the world, typically, as we get older, we tend to do less, and it just seems to be that it is especially important as we get older to get physical activity. Let me read some of the conclusions of these researchers. In general, the more often a person is physically active, the better the physical capability. And of course, you're going to say, well, sure, the more you do, the better your metabolism is going to work, etc., etc. But I want to look with you at some specific things they pointed out that have to do with the aging equation. And let me just read these things for you. Sedentary people aged 50 years and older had twice the risk of death compared with those who had the highest level of physical activity after adjusting for a range of risk factors. And this includes age and socioeconomic position. So in other words, if you want to cut your risk of death as you get older, one of the things you want to do is exercise more. Physical activity is important against, across the age span. That's right. Physical activity is important across the age span. We're going to be looking at specific things you can do. I'm going to tell you as we open up our next segment about something very simple that you can do that can help you in some profound ways. We'll be back with more right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. For 13 and one half years, I was the victim of severe child abuse. I was being beaten, cursed, and deprived of any kind of love and care. It was a big secret. Children are born to be loved, not to be abused. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. 
go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. I'm Andrew Saul, Commissioner of Social Security. I'm here to warn you about telephone scammers pretending to be government employees. Some of these scammers may say threatening things like you will be arrested if you don't make payments or provide personal information. Do not fall for these tricks. These calls are not from us. Real Social Security employees will never threaten you for information or money. If you receive a call like this, hang up. Never give the caller your personal information, like your Social Security number or bank account, or send money in any form, cash, gift cards, wire transfers, or prepaid debit cards. Report the call to our law enforcement arm, the Office of the Inspector General, at oig.ssa.gov. Share this information with your friends and family. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're doing a special program. It's looking at physical activity, and we're doing it because our companion journal, our companion magazine called American Indian and Alaska Native Living, is focusing on physical activity in its upcoming issue, at least at the time of this recording. What is so exciting about exercise is more and more evidence is coming out linking physical activity to a host of benefits, and some of those benefits we can reap with a minimum of effort. I promised you something very simple, and I'm actually uh, going to pick up a copy of my book, The Methuselah Factor, to help us in this dialogue. The Methuselah Factor is a book that deals with optimizing circulatory health. And uh, you can see I've got my handy bookmark in here, which just happens to be the business card for American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Anyway, so what I've got the bookmark in here for is talking about the benefits of resistance exercise. The book, The Methuselah Factor, is actually my approach to longevity. In fact, the subtitle is Learn How to Live Sharper, Leaner, Longer, and Better in 30 Days or Less. It's a 30-day program. And in this program, I'm giving people tools to help them live longer and better. In day nine of the program, I've entitled the chapter, Get a Grip. And this chapter deals with the benefits of resistance exercise. Why I'm sharing it with you, it's a topic that I featured along with my co-authors, Dr. Greg Steinke and nurse practitioner Trudy Lee in our book, 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control. Because one of the things that we have found with resistance exercise, isometric resistance exercise, is that you can lower your blood pressure. Let me read you a little bit about it. This is a review, a review of 28 trials comprising 
over a thousand individuals, and they were looking at resistance exercise and specifically at uh, its effects on blood pressure. What they found remarkably is that a single type of resistance exercise called isometric hand grip exercise lowered blood pressure as much as 13 points systolic and six points diastolic. Let's make that practical, okay? Tell you about a patient that I was just dealing with. This individual, we'll call him Jim. Jim is uh, involved in a telemedicine visit with me. That's right. Right now, my practice is limited to telemedicine, especially with everything that's been happening in our world and with COVID-19. Still a lot of folks preferring those telemedicine visits, and that's what I've been doing. So uh, part-time telemedicine work. And uh, this individual, we'll call him Jim, his blood pressure running in the 150s over about 90. Okay, this is what it's averaging. When he first came to me, his blood pressures were over 200 systolic. So he's moving in the right direction, but I'm talking with him saying, Jim, I'm not happy with that blood pressure in the 150s. I want to see it consistently below 140. So let's just say he was averaging 152. If he got the benefits from this exercise, isometric hand grip exercise that we're going to be talking about, like we see in the studies, if he got the kind of benefit that's being seen in the research, he could drop his blood pressure down from 152 systolic on average down to what? 139 just by doing this exercise approach. Very simple. I'm going to tell you about it. His diastolic blood pressure, if it was running, let's say, around 92, he could drop that six points down to, you got it, 92, six points down to 86. Okay? So what is this approach? And by the way, what is isometric exercise? I promised you I'd read from the book. Here I go. If you're not familiar with isometric terminology, it refers to muscular contraction without change in the muscle's length. Imagine pushing against a 200-foot-tall giant sequoia tree. That tree is not going to move, so no matter how hard you push, your arm muscles won't be changing in length. You get the picture? So iso means the same. Metric has a reference to meter or measure. So if you're doing isometric exercise, the muscles are staying the same length. So how does someone take advantage of this opportunity to tap into isometric exercise to lower their blood pressure? Well, I spell it out in the Methuselah factor. Again, we're using this isometric hand grip exercise. Remember, isometric, not changing the length of the muscles. So basically, here's what it looks like. You've got to do these hand grip exercises three times a week, just three times a week, and we're going to find that it only takes about 11 minutes per day. So you add that up, about 33 minutes over the course of a week can lower blood pressure in the range of 13 points systolic and 6 points diastolic if you get the kind of results that they've shown in the research. Well, how does it work? What you've got to do is get that grip strength device. And what you want to do is you want to hold a firm grip, not pumping the grip strength device. Hold a firm grip for two minutes. Do it first with your dominant hand. In my case, that's my right hand. Then I would switch over and do it with my left hand, okay? But between each set of two minutes, you're going to take a one-minute break. Two minutes with the right hand, one minute break. 
two minutes with the left hand one minute break. And you're going to do two sets. So two minutes with the right hand times two is four minutes with the right hand, four minutes with the left, with three one minute breaks in between. So that's what makes up the 11 minute session. Now, the other important ingredient is how firmly should you be squeezing that grip strength device? Well, you should be squeezing it firm enough to keep it in its compressed position. That brings up the question of how much resistance should you have? Well, you really want to use about 30% of your maximal grip strength. Now, a lot of people say, well, well how am I going to know what 30% of my maximal grip strength is? Well, you could be tested at a health center, fitness club, university that has a uh, athletic department. Uh, perhaps a sporting goods store might have some device, a dynamometer, we call it, that would allow you to check your grip strength. But even if a sporting goods store or health club doesn't have that, you could experiment with different grip strength devices. Find one that's about one-third of your maximal resistance that you could handle, that you could squeeze down. That's all it takes to get benefits from something that you could do sitting in your chair while you're listening to American Indian and Alaska Native Living or doing something else. Let's hasten on. I want to tell you about some other really exciting things that I've been learning as I've been reviewing the medical research literature when it comes to exercise. And the next thing I want to tell you about kind of builds on something that we mentioned earlier, and it has to do with the benefits of exercise in older adults. And then we'll come back and tie this in to some things that impact the larger population as well. But I just want to remind us that as we get older, we tend to have a deterioration in physical functioning. They say, hey, you don't need to remind anybody because we're all living, and if we've gotten to a certain point in age, we realize that things are going downhill. Let me read something from this source, 2016, from the journal Biogerontology. So speaking about aging, the evidence shows that regular physical activity is safe for healthy and for frail older people, and the risks of developing major cardiovascular and metabolic diseases, obesity, falls, cognitive impairments, osteoporosis, and muscular weakness are decreased by regularly completing activities ranging from low intensity walking through to more vigorous sports and resistance exercises. Now, here's what's so interesting about this. Did you notice in that list, we've talked about most of these things already, but it also mentions, did you catch it? Falls. Falling can be prevented by a regular program of exercise. Why I find that so interesting is that one of the dangers as we get older is... Well, as we recognize our frailty, we can start saying, well, I better not exercise because I might injure myself. I might fall and get hurt. Now, of course, I'm not talking about throwing caution to the wind. We definitely want to be careful. We want to exercise in areas that uh, are generally safe for whatever our limitations are. Uh, for example, you don't want to be out walking on a trail in low light out in nature that might be actually quite dangerous. You might stumble or fall. But my point is simply this. Getting out and exercising, doing physical activity, 
actually decreases your risk of falling as you get older. Very important point. Now, let me mention this. These researchers go on and they say this. I think it's very telling. They say, yet participation in physical activities remains low amongst older adults, particularly those living in less affluent areas. Now, this is really interesting because it can have to do with environment, but it can just have to do with education. So even if you don't have that much in the way of means, even if you don't have access to the fanciest health club, Find a place that's safe to walk, if nothing else, and get that physical activity in. Now, some of you are no doubt wondering, is it safe to exercise? We'll be talking about that in our next segment, and we'll be talking about something very important, and that is what I mentioned earlier, how you can actually help your brain, specific things that have been actually demonstrated to help both the brain and decrease the risk of losing your vision from things like diabetic complications, age-related macular degeneration, and glaucoma. Don't miss it. We'll be back with more right after this. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at aianl.org or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. The most negative thinking in my childhood was the things said to me. I felt like I was a bag of garbage waiting to go to the dump. Please, moms and dads, put a watch on your mouth as you relate to your children. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to. Someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for youth. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals into your body. And nicotine, which can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're talking today about a subject that uh, has inspired me. Over the years, I have been committed to a regular program of physical activity, but I've not only been inspired because of the benefits I've received and the benefits I've seen that it has brought to my patients, but I've been inspired lately because the folks with American Indian and Alaska Native Living Magazine are focusing the next edition of that periodical on physical activity. And of course, those of you living in Indian country, you know that in many parts of North America, physical activity was not only really something that was part and parcel of First Nation people's lives, but it was actually esteemed, it was valued. 
Some of you recall, not all that long ago, I featured Dr. Anthony Flagg and colleagues with running medicine out in the American Southwest, reconnecting with that native value of physical activity. What we're finding in the medical research today is physical activity has far-reaching benefits for kids, for adults, for people, even at the very end of life. And that's what we're talking about. We're going to talk in this segment about safety, how you can make sure or at least increase the likelihood that exercise is safe for you. We're going to also talk about some important connections between brain health and visual health. But before we do all that, just some other high points on these very topics. This I found especially interesting. This is a study that was published in 2017 in the Journal of Occupational Health. These researchers were looking at burnout. I think we've all heard the term burnout, but let me give you a a medical definition, at least from the perspective of these researchers. They said this, burnout is a severe and persistent form of fatigue that occurs after a long period of work stress. It's become a common phenomenon in today's organizations. They tell us that early conceptualizations of burnout actually looked at burnout in these terms, a syndrome of emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and reduced sense of personal accomplishment and can occur among individuals who do people work of some kind. They point out that since that time, it's been broadened. Burnout applies not just to people working in healthcare or other people-centric occupations, but it applies to all kinds of occupations. What kind of dimensions are spoken about when we speak about burnout, exhaustion, cynicism, all of these terms come out. Basically, you lose the zest for your job. What's interesting in this research, literature search, they looked at a number of studies, and here's what they found. Moderately strong evidence that physical activity impacted burnout, decreased burnout. It actually reduced exhaustion. It actually was very encouraging and actually is telling us that we can make a difference as far as keeping our enthusiasm up by adding physical activity to the equation. Let me uh, take ourselves over to kind of the other end of the spectrum again. We've been speaking about the far-reaching benefits of exercise, and I want to bring you back to the example of children because uh, there's so much today that is challenging our children. This is pretty interesting stuff that they looked at. Their focus here in this particular paper was looking at the ability of children to focus on their tasks. And what they found is if you added classroom-based physical activity to the equation, children actually improved as far as their on-task performance. But even perhaps more significantly, if you've ever been a teacher or worked with young children, it actually reduced, physical activity reduced their off-task classroom behavior. So it's very interesting. We seem to hand out this diagnosis of ADHD so freely, and I'm not actually making a point that we shouldn't be diagnosing kids with ADHD. But my point is simply this. Not necessarily every child with that diagnosis has to be on medication. In fact, I would argue that medication therapy should be the exception rather than the rule. Now, I know maybe your child, maybe your grandchild is the exception. 
But here's my point. One of the things that suffers with ADHD is focus. If you want to increase the on-task focus of children, what the research shows, and if you want to decrease the off-task focus, looking out the window, getting concerned about what the other child's doing, you want to add physical activity to the equation. Interesting stuff, isn't it? Benefiting the young as well as the old. Let me switch over to talking about this whole area that I think has been not talked about enough. I mentioned this earlier in the show, but I I do want to mention this because I alluded to certain types of cancer that are decreased as far as their likelihood of occurrence even with physical activity. And I want to read this from a 2019 report that came out from the American College of Sports Medicine. It was actually a roundtable report, and it was entitled Roundtable Report on Physical Activity, Sedentary Behavior, and Cancer Prevention and Control. And after we talk about this, then we'll talk about exercise safety. So let me just read what they wrote. Physical activity is beneficial for the prevention of several types of cancer, including breast, colon, endometrial, so that's cancer of the womb, kidney, bladder, esophagus, and stomach. Listen to this now. Minimizing time spent in sedentary behavior. So you may have heard of people having the stand-up desks and things like this. So sedentary sitting behaviors, they seem independently to correlate with certain cancers. In other words, it's not just the fact that when you're sitting, you're not exercising. It's the very fact of sitting. And they point out that minimizing time spent in sedentary behavior may also lower the risk of cancer of the womb. We call it cancer of the endometrium, cancer of the colon, and cancer of the lung. Now, they do point out that there is one cancer that is increased in those who are physically active. Now, a lot of people are surprised by this, but I think we need to point it out, and that cancer is melanoma. It's a type of skin cancer. Some of you may be connecting the dots. You're saying, oh, yeah, if you're doing more physical activity, you're probably outdoors more, getting more sunshine. That's the whole point. So physical activity, powerful in cancer prevention, but... Be careful of excessive sun exposure, and of course, observe good skin health, get good skin screening on a regular basis, especially if you're prone to spots on the skin, freckles, other things that uh, if they change, definitely call for immediate attention from a skin specialist or other healthcare provider that is trained in uh, screening for those things. So what's the message? Overall, the message is not only for cancer prevention, but also for cancer survivals. That's what other research is showing us. And the message is that every cancer survivor should avoid inactivity. Now, let me read this because I alluded to it earlier. By the way, this is from another study that appeared in Medical Science in Sports and Exercise in 2019. It says, enough evidence was available to conclude that specific doses of aerobic combined with anaerobic plus resistance training and or resistance training could improve common cancer health-related outcomes, including anxiety, depressive symptoms, fatigue, physical functioning, and health-related quality of life. What's the point? 
the point is, if you have cancer, if you want to decrease your risk of problems following the cancer, you want to avoid inactivity. You want to include physical activity as part of your program. Now, I promised you some things about eye health, brain health, and physical activity screening, how you can know what's safe for you. Uh, we may actually actually have to cover that uh, very important stuff on eye health and brain health in our next segment. I'm watching the clock for you. But let's talk about safety of exercise. I'm actually referring to a book that I had the privilege of co-authoring, 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control. And you might have guessed, speaking about natural blood pressure control, one of the things that I spoke about and my co-authors writing this together, Dr. Greg Steinke and nurse practitioner Trudy Lee, we spoke about the importance of physical activity. In fact, of the 10 domains that we focused on in this book, 10 domains of natural health practices, one entire chapter was devoted to physical activity. And in that chapter, we gave data about the power of physical activity, including small amounts of exercise per week. We talked earlier in this program about the benefits of resistance training, isometric resistance exercise with grip strength, just 33 minutes a week. That's not the only study showing that as little as 30 minutes a week can make a difference as far as blood pressure. Now, having said this, I know many of you are involved in exercise counseling. You are health professionals. You're working in tribal health programs. Let me go on record before we go any further. 30 minutes a week is not optimal. Most of the guidelines throughout the world talk about accumulating in the range of 150 minutes per week. So that's 30 minutes a day, five days a week, roughly. And if you talk with someone like me, I encourage people to get on a daily exercise program. But that figure is often mentioned, moderate physical activity, 150 minutes a week to get many of the benefits of exercise. Still more exercise than that can have additional benefits, especially if you're trying to lose weight, especially if you have diabetes, other conditions that respond to physical activity. Having said that, let me go now to the screening test. It's a common screening test used called the PAR-Q. PAR-Q, Physical Activity Readiness Questionnaire. That's what PAR-Q stands for, Physical Activity Readiness Questionnaire. And uh, this is actually figure 8.2 in our book, 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control. Seven questions. If you respond yes to any of them, this means you should check with a physician to make sure that whatever you're planning as far as increasing your activity is safe for you. Even before taking a fitness test, you should do this. Don't have your fitness tested while you're wondering if it's safe to exercise. Here's those seven questions. First one, has a doctor ever said that you have a heart condition and that you should only perform physical activity recommended by a doctor. Number two, do you feel pain in your chest when you perform physical activity? Number three, in the past month, have you had chest pain when you were not performing physical activity? Number four, do you lose your balance because of dizziness or do you ever lose consciousness? Question five, do you have a bone or joint problem that could be made worse by a change in your physical activity? Number six, is your doctor currently prescribing drugs for your blood pressure or for a heart condition? And number seven, 
Do you know of any other reason why you should not do physical activity? Remember, if you answer yes to any of those questions, that means check with a doctor before getting onto a program where you're increasing your physical activity. Well, we have to step away just briefly. Remember, in our next segment, I'm going to give you that really exciting information about preserving visual health and an amazing connection with depression prevention. It all has to do with physical activity, and it's up next right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. If child abuse victims don't get counseling or help, they so often become abusers themselves. The victim doesn't make the decisions... They just take the orders. I got help, and so can you. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Shelley Flace with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. If you own firearms, it's your responsibility to make sure they're always stored safely. Hiding them in a closet or drawer is not enough. Kids know where they are. Research shows the risk of injury and death is lower if guns are stored unloaded and locked up with the ammunition locked in a separate place. This is important when children are young as well as when they grow into teenagers. For more, talk with your pediatrician or visit healthychildren.org. So I wanted to talk with you and your mom today, Lily, because some people at school have noticed changes going on with you and we're concerned. Like what? Who? Some of your friends, teachers, it sounds like you've lost interest in a lot of things lately. You're hanging with new friends. So? So, individually, maybe those things are no big deal. But taken together, and then the incident the other day, you were with Derek when he was caught selling marijuana. Yeah, he was selling it. Honey, we know. But we care about you and, and want to know what's going on. That's right. We just want to understand better and see how we might help. And if weed is a part of it, we just want to make sure you understand the negative consequences for someone your age. The physical and mental health effects, the poor decision-making, and the confusing legal aspects these days. So what do you say? Can we talk? For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose for our final segment of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. We're hoping to release some of this uh, program on video, and you can access that video material by going to Compass Health Consulting on YouTube. That's uh, my YouTube channel. We have a special playlist devoted to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. So Compass Health Consulting on YouTube. You can get all the archives of this radio show 
Well, not all the archives, but you can get many of our programs as well as our magazine, American Indian Alaska Native Living Magazine, at AIANL.org. And remember, this show, especially inspired by the fact that I'm writing an article for the upcoming journal issue that is focused on physical activity, especially in Indian country. So I promised you that I was going to share with you something that to me is one of the most fascinating things I've learned as I've been recently reviewing the medical literature again about exercise in preparation for writing an article for American Indian and Alaska Native Living magazine. Now, whether this material makes it into the article, I don't know because I haven't written the article yet. That's coming up really shortly, but I've been doing the research and got excited enough to say we've got to share this material with the American Indian and Alaska Native Living radio audience. So here's the deal. In 2018, one of the ophthalmology journals published a fascinating study. It's a review. It's looking at what the research is showing about the prevention of visual impairment. How can we preserve our vision as long as possible? Now, let me just read uh, a statement here for you. A growing body of literature suggests that several eye conditions including glaucoma, age-related macular degeneration, and diabetic retinopathy are associated with lower activity levels. Now, this is really significant. When you listen to it at first, you say, now, wait a minute. We're finding a connection in the research between visual impairment and activity. You say, well, That's not surprising. If you have visual impairment, you're not going to be able to do as much. Well, the researchers asked this question. Is the lack of activity contributing to visual impairment, or are people visually impaired and then not doing as much? And that's why the the two are connected. The paper makes a compelling case for strong evidence linking this as a what we call bidirectional problem. That means lack of activity contributes to eye problems, and then when you get eye problems, that tends to cause you to do less. So let's look at the evidence and uh, some of the rationale talking about how physical activity could help preserve eye health. We're going to talk first about glaucoma, but before we do, I'm going to put it in the context which the authors did in the case of data from 2015 in the United States. Individuals over 40 years of age in the U.S., 3.2 million of them were visually impaired, and over a million of them were legally blind. So we're talking about a huge problem, huge problem, with lots of issues related to it. Now, to make matters worse, this represents a greater than 20% increase over the last decade. Visual impairment increasing in prevalence more people with it, what can we do about it? Let's talk about glaucoma. Glaucoma currently affects some 2 to 4% of the population who are aged 40 and older. And as the authors of this paper point out, it's going to increase as our population ages. Glaucoma has got a lot of connections. It affects mobility. It affects balance. It can increase our risk of falling. Here's the interesting thing. What they're finding is that more vigorous activity is a means of preventing or delaying glaucoma. But it goes beyond that. They mentioned this. Light-intensity physical activity has been shown to have beneficial effects 
on something called brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And this is what's so fascinating to me. BDNF, let me just break the word down, brain-derived. It means one of the places in your body that actually makes this compound is your brain. It's derived from the brain, among other places. BDNF, neurotrophic factor. Neurotrophic means it favors the growth of nerve cells and brain cells. Trophic refers to something that relates to growth. Neuro refers to neurons, brain and nerve cells. So brain-derived neurotrophic factor is actually a brain and nerve growth factor made by your body. And what they're finding is that physical activity, even light physical activity, can improve levels of BDNF. Now you say, well, why is this so interesting? Well, for years, we have known, I've known, and I've, I've shared it in lectures. Some of you, if you've ever seen my uh, video series called The Brain Health Revolution, we talk in there about BDNF. And I point out there about the connection with exercise, as well as other things that you can do, a person could do to raise their BDNF levels. But not on my radar screen was this connection with eye health. I talked about how BDNF has been correlated with less risk of depression. BDNF, higher levels, decrease your risk of certain types of stroke. BDNF has roles in preventing Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease, hugely important. But this research pointed out in 2018, showing us that BDNF also has a role in preventing glaucoma. You say, well, how would that be? Well, what does glaucoma affect? It affects the cells of the retina, the cells at the back of your eye. Retinal ganglion cells are nerve cells. What can help nerve cells? Neurotrophic factors. Raising BDNF, according to these researchers, with light activity stands to help glaucoma. It gets even better than that. Let me tell you a story and some research that was summarized in this paper. Just going to read it for you. Forced regular exercise in aged mice was shown to protect the aged optic nerve against intraocular pressure-induced injury. So what they're saying here, glaucoma increases the pressure in the eye, and it's that pressure that stresses the retina. What they found is in a mouse study, if you make even older mice exercise, you force them to exercise, and actually give them stress, actual, literally, stress, pressure, increased pressure in their eye, the extra exercise helps to prevent the glaucomatous changes. Gets even better. Listen to this story. We observed a case of possible bilateral, means both sides, visual field damage reversal in a 30-year-old female glaucoma patient. And I should stop right here. Real important message. I was just dealing with someone in a telemedicine visit. Uh, actually, it's common. When was your last eye exam? Oh, I haven't had one in several years. Haven't had one in five years. It's been 10 years. This woman's 30. She's already lost vision from glaucoma. That's the context. Possible reversal of the damage from glaucoma. Why? What did she do? She started a vigorous exercise program. We observed symmetric bilateral improvements. In other words, both eyes improving as she was increasing her exercise. It suggested 
partially reversible improvement in visual function as a result of physical activity. Now, they're writing in a scientific paper. They're saying, yes, this doesn't prove anything, but the research in animals shows it. These authors saying, we have seen it in real life. What gets even better is they point out how physical activity is not only connected with BDNF, which has been shown to help prevent and treat depression. Not only is this BDNF seem to have a role in glaucoma and preventing damage to the back of the eye, but physical activity is also connected with the other two leading causes of vision loss in adults, which are macular degeneration and diabetic eye complications. Do you catch the point? Physical activity has connections not just with the kind of things we've been talking about for years, not just with heart disease prevention, not just with helping with brain health, but also helping maintain our senses, maintain our function over time. What can you do? Here's my recommendation. Yes, if you responded positively to any of those PAR-Q questions that we talked about at the end of the last segment, yes, talk with a healthcare provider. But let me say it this way. Every one of us can increase our activity in some way. Maybe you need to get that medical checkup first. But look at ways to increase your physical activity. Don't worry if you can't do 30 minutes at a time. Do five minutes. Get a grip strength device. Do some of that isometric grip strength activity. Here's the message. Physical activity is powerful. You want to learn more? A whole issue of our magazine, American Indian Alaska Native Living Magazine, is going to be dealing with physical activity. You can find it at AIANL.org. Well, that's all for today. Again, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health. This is Life Talk Radio.